Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, everyone. Winter's almost here. And the biggest question on everybody's mind is, are we going to lose power on the coldest days of the year? Longtime Texas Energy reporter Lauren Steffi joins me to talk about what we can expect from ERCOT this winter and what's being done to prevent outages when Houstonians need power the most. It's Monday, November 6th, 2023. I'm Rahil Ramzanali, and here's what Houston's talking about. Hey, Lauren, welcome back to CityCast Houston. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Always good to be yeah, here. Yeah, of course. So let's start with something that I think I ask you every single time, but it's always <laughs> a good refresher. What exactly does ERCOT do? So ERCOT, which means the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, is basically the quasi-government entity that operates the power grid for the majority of the state. They serve about 90% of the state. Um, now, in the Houston area, it's worth noting that one of the areas they don't serve is some of the areas immediately north of Houston, like the Woodlands and Conroe. Those are all in Entergy's service area, and that's a that's a different grid. Oh, I did not know that. So yep. they have their own grid up there? Well, they don't have their own grid. They're part of the southeastern grid because that's uh, that's what energy is is connected with. Although energy has, on various occasions, tried to to come into ERCOT, but that's a whole other complicated story. We probably don't want to go into today. So <laughs> yeah, no, sure that that would be a different episode. So ERCOT <laughs> put out their winter projections, right? And before we get into the big takeaways from it, ERCOT said that they're using Winter Storm Elliot from last year as a measuring stick and not Yuri, which is the storm that claimed over 200 lives in 2021. Why is that? Well, I mean, you know, look, the 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 winter storms that we typically get do not have the duration that Winter Storm Yuri did, right? If you remember what happened in 2021, it, it was really three storms in a row. We, we got very cold and we stayed cold for over a week. In fact, I remember I made a Facebook post or something where I said, you know, at the end of it, I said, oh, it's getting up to 28 degrees today. You know, a week ago we were thinking, oh my God, it's going to get down to 28 degrees. You know, it literally stayed so cold for so very long um, that that is really unusual. And so if you're trying to make a, a projection, you want something that's a little more in line with what we're typically experienced, which is, you know, it's look, we get the potential for a few days of very, very cold weather, but then it usually warms up. So that's probably a more risk, more realistic situation to plan for. Gotcha. And if we have a storm like Elliot, we'll use that one. There is a one in seven chance that we still have rolling outages across the state. Now, this basically means the grid still isn't fixed, right? Yeah, the grid is is far from fixed. Um, you know, we have a system that is is broken, and the legislature has insisted on keeping it broken for a long time. We tried to deregulate this market 20-some uh, years ago, 
and we only did it halfway, right? We only deregulated part of the market and we kind of created these, um, these sort of mythical market players uh, called retailers that, that really don't bring a lot of value to the market, but it makes consumers feel good. So there's a lot of things that happen. There's a lot of politics involved in this. There's a lot of political ideology around quote unquote free market solutions and it's worth noting that the same guys that that tout the free market are the same ones who put their thumb on the scale the minute things went bad in 2021. So it, the market is a mess and it's extremely complicated and it is not working to the benefit of consumers or the general public. And it hasn't been for a long time. You know, even when I say the grid is still broken, how <laughs> is it broken? Like explain that to me where like, why are these outages happening? Well, in, in very simple terms, we don't have enough power to meet demands in times of extreme situations. So mm. when you have something like Winter Storm Uri, where people are trying to keep the heat on, there's a, an awful lot of demand being put on the grid, right? Obviously, everybody wants to try to stay warm. And so that increased demand, we simply don't have the power to, to meet that demand. Now, most days we don't need it. Okay, so so the problem here and what has become exceedingly evident um, is that our grid was designed for, you know, sort of an average day, but we have never had a, a sort of a safety system, a safety net or a backup system, what's often called a capacity market, something that can come online and help out on those days where we have something extreme happen and we need extra power. Gotcha. So is this what ERCOT is planning to do if there are rolling outages? Like what are the steps that they can take to help out? Well, I mean, ERCOT is sort of stuck with dealing with whatever power is coming into the market. There are things that they can do and there are things that they do do um, when these situations occur. One thing is that we have what's called a demand response system, which means that large industrial users they actually get a lower rate on their power in certain situations if they agree to curtail usage in, you know, these sort of emergency situations. Mm. But that program is not nearly big enough. It should be much, much bigger. It should, in fact, extend to consumers. But we've never really done that because that's going to be a lot of work and it's difficult and it's hard to manage. And so they really haven't done all they could with that area. But they do things like that. They do try to look at the market and make sure there's power coming in. Um, one thing they're going to be looking at this winter, you know, after 2021, we learned to make sure there's enough gas supply so the generators can actually generate at, at full capacity or near full capacity. Um, they also try to make sure that scheduled maintenance isn't going to occur when they know extreme temperatures are likely to come. So there are things that they do. The problem is that it is not enough to keep up with growing demand. I mean, you know, the population of the state is growing. The demands for electricity is growing, uh, are growing. More people want to have uh, electric cars, for example. As we bring more and more electric cars online or, or you know, as more electric cars drive off the lot, um, that's, an, that's an extra demand on the power grid. So what's the deal with bringing zombie power plants? Because I read that, <laughs> that that is one of the ways that ERCOT could combat the demand and increase, you know, energy output. What's up with that? Yeah, so zombie power plants are basically really old plants that probably should have been shut down um, years ago. But what they do is they sort of dust them off and bring them back online uh, to, to fill in these gaps if they know they're going to come up a little bit short. These are really old plants. They're, they usually burn coal. Uh, they usually burn the dirtiest kind of coal. Uh, so they're, they're expensive. They're dirty. They're really not plants we want to have operating. And, and quite honestly, 
there is a time, you know, horizon on these things. This is only going to work for so long. It's mm-hmm. not a long-term solution. It's it's a stopgap. So if they do come back online and we use them just in case of a storm, one of the big things after Yuri was that there were so many costs and fees that we were hit with as consumers. If these plants come back online, will we pay for the fees for these plants? Oh, oh, of course you will pay for these. Look, <laughs> the way this market works, the consumers and and to a lesser extent, the retailers pretty much wind up paying for everything. Okay, the, the, they're the vulnerable. The, those are the vulnerable populations of the marketplace. They're the ones that don't have a voice when this stuff gets decided. The generators mm. make money. The traders make money. The pipeline companies certainly make money. But nobody really speaks for the consumer in, in any sort of meaningful way. And this market was never designed to benefit the consumer. And we're starting to see the effects of that. I mean, what you're really getting at here when you're talking about things like zombie power plants, you're pointing to the fact that we don't have enough power plants to meet the overall demands of our grid, okay? And in 20-some years, the, the market has not created the incentive to build the power plants that we need in order to meet that demand. And so what the state is trying to do now is come up with this funding mechanism that would basically tap taxpayers again to pay for additional plants to be built that would be on standby. Okay. Mm. So what, what that means, that's what, that's what proposition seven is, which we can get into in a minute. But what that means is that basically you paid for the mistakes in 2021, right? And we're going to be paying for that. If you look on your bill, there's a new little charge and we're going to be paying for that for many, many years. I've, I've made the point that my granddaughter was not born when winter storm Yuri happened, But when she gets to the age that she's likely to be living on her own and paying her own electric bills, she will be paying for the mistakes that were made, not even in her lifetime. Okay, so so that's the long tail. That's just what happened then. But then there's additional costs to try to make sure it doesn't happen again. So we're really starting to see the financial implications of, of, you know, this sort of long running market failure that we've just ignored for for many, many years. So what can we do as consumers to be ready for this winter, right? I, I don't know. Like, should we be shopping around for better plans? Do we buy generators and get ready? Or is it like we're just kind of screwed here? Well, I mean, if if you have the means to buy a generator to, you know, install solar and batteries, um, you know, look, more and more end users, if you will. So whether it's consumers or businesses, more and more um, end users are looking at doing something like that because they simply don't trust the grid. The problem with all those things is they're very expensive. And, you know, that doesn't help the people who don't have the means to pay for that. Those are really the most vulnerable people. And and indeed, a lot of the people who died in 2021 were in trailer parks and, and places like that where, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have housing that was well insulated, they didn't have the most efficient, you know, systems uh, to to try to keep them warm, and they don't have the means to pay for these, you know, expensive backups and things that that other people can. So, you know, yeah, by all means, if you if you can afford to do that, that's great. But if you can't, you're sort of at the mercy of the system, and you know, we have seen the system let us down repeatedly. So this next question, I feel like this would be like another five episodes, but I'm going to ask it anyways, and I'm going to ask you to sum it up pretty short here. How would you fix all of this? How would you fix this issue? Yeah, there's there's not an easy answer to that because it has been such a convoluted mess for so long that it's, that it's very, very hard to, to undo what has been done or to find a way forward that actually works for everybody. 
But I think that that one of the important things that needs to happen is that that our legislators, our, our you know policymakers, our lawmakers need to start looking at this from the consumer standpoint instead of from the campaign donor standpoint. You know, I mean, uh, it's not about keeping the pipeline company executives happy because they gave you a million dollars. It's about keeping people from dying because we don't have infrastructure, you know, basic fundamental infrastructure that we need in this state to keep people alive. And so that's really the fundamental change that needs to happen. We have not seen any interest in the legislature in doing that, but it's really an attitude that that is long overdue. So tell me about Prop 7. You brought it up earlier. We are nearing election day. So what exactly is Prop 7 and how will it impact residents? Yeah, so Prop 7 is is basically a plan to create what they're calling the Texas Energy Fund, which would be a way to help finance these uh, power plants that the market itself can't justify building, right? So in other words, if I'm a generator and you say, well, you know, you need to have some backup generation waiting in case we have another big freeze like that, you say, well, I can't justify that. There's no way to pay for it, right? And so this is a way to basically subsidize uh, the generators and get them to build these additional plants in case we have a problem. So it's a it's a way to subsidize reliability on the system. Um, I would point out that that was not what we were told we needed when this market was quote unquote deregulated. We were told that they was going to create the incentives on its own because it was this miraculous free market solution. And it, it turns out it's not really a free market. Um, and it's certainly not a solution. Yeah. But So now we're having to pay um, for, for this, you know, this fund going forward. But the other thing is that they're very specific that the plants they want to see built are what they're calling dispatchable generation, which basically means fossil fuel plants and nuclear, right? So it's it's gas, primarily gas-fired power plants. And if anybody wanted to take a flyer on nuclear, they would be happy for that. But they're not encouraging more renewables. Um, and so uh, that is sort of backward looking in some ways, because we've built out a lot of wind and solar capacity in the state. Um, and, and I think that, you know, if we're going to purport to have this free market system, we should let the market decide, you know, what they th- what what it thinks is best for meeting demand and and the renewable picture will change as battery technology gets better as well but there is certainly a need for reliable power that we know can be there regardless of the weather and that's what this is primarily focused on how would we pay for those well it it would it would essentially come they're they're going to sell uh, they're going to finance you know low interest bonds and things like that guaranteed bonds but ultimately you know the money is being put up by the taxpayers. If something happens, if those bonds go into default or whatever, the taxpayer would be footing the bill for that. I mean, they've they've tried to build in some mechanisms so that's not immediate. It's not like it'll be an extra surcharge or something on your bill, at least at first. But we've seen how quickly these things can go south. (laughs) Of course. Final thing, explain this to me because after Yuri, I heard like, why aren't we part of a bigger grid or a national grid or a regional grid? If we were to join another grid in moments like this, would that be possible? Would our bills go up? Can we in general just join? Like, what does that look like? (laughs) Well, I think the big problem at the moment is I'm not sure any other grid would want us. I mean, they don't want to take on the problems that we have here in Texas. Um, So, you know, I think that that nobody's really asked, (laughs) hey, you know, could we join you? But I I think we'd be surprised by the answer because I'm not sure a lot of grids would want to deal with that at this point. Um, The bigger problem is that there aren't 
really any major interconnections between the the ERCOT grid and other grids. There are a few minor ones where you can move a small amount of power back and forth, but uh, we would have to build new transmission lines, which again, would cost money. And I think, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is that in a situation like Erie, nobody had any extra power anyway. Even if we had been connected to, say, the Midwestern grid, they didn't have any power because they were dealing with the same weather. So it, it can work in certain situations where, you know, one area is experiencing an extreme weather event and another area isn't, and you can move power around the grid. But, um, you know, in, in many cases, it wouldn't necessarily make that much difference. And the other thing to keep in mind is that if you're part of a, big, a bigger grid like that, then you have to, you know, when other people need power, you have to share it with them too. And mm. so, um, you know, there are some drawbacks. I, I did a piece for Texas Monthly a few years ago where I made the point that part of the reason Texas became the biggest um, uh, generator of wind energy was because we had a, a self-contained grid. And so all the permitting was done here in the state of Texas. We didn't have to get involved with any federal regulations or any cross-border stuff or, you know, sign, you know, load sharing agreements or whatever, or, um, you know, generation sharing agreements with other parts of the grid or whatever. We could do it all ourselves. And that actually has made the, the process much quicker. And it enabled this very rapid build-out that we saw, uh, certainly for, you know, wind farms in, in Texas. Gotcha. That was so informative, Lauren. I appreciate you joining us and sharing all of your knowledge with us. And here's uh, here's us officially crossing our fingers, right, that we don't have an issue this winter. <laughs> yeah, I would just say that, you know, when you look at the long term, hope is really not a, a strategy for running a grid. And, and it's, it's way past time that we start tackling some of the big problems that, that we need to tackle to to fix this over the long term. Perfectly said. Thank you, Lauren. All right. Thank you. That was Lauren Steffi. I've linked his writing for Texas Monthly and his novels in our show notes. Before we go, don't forget, tomorrow is election day and you can find polling locations at harrisvotes.com. I always recommend finding a couple of polling locations in case lines are long at the first one you go to. That will do it for today. Thank you for listening and I hope you learned something new.